صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Nasa. This is very exciting. This has been too long. So how are you? I'm really good, mate. Well rested after our Christmas break, but we're back in another year of Palestine Remembered. Amazingly, we have a fantastic report to talk about. Apparently, white liberal people have discovered that apartheid's happening in Palestine. It's, it's news to them, apparently. <laughs> they must be anti-Semites, are they? Are they going to be oh, labelled? Of course they are. They're going to be labelled massively now. Because the report is damning, as we know, it only just came out. And, you know, you and I are having a discussion. We'll discuss it soon. I think that they've barely left a war crime word or apartheid word out of it. It's a damning report. It's so honest. And if everybody knew this, the world would be a different place. Well, we expect everybody to know about it because we're going to do our bit to amplify it. But we also expect people to do something about it. And so we're going to talk to a Palestinian activist from Sydney. She's joining us now, Amanda Nasser. Good morning, Amanda. Morning, Nasser. How are you? Superb, superb. Now, before we get into apartheid and this amnesty report, which comes on the back of a few other reports, and we'll talk about those in a minute, why don't you give us a little bit of a background as to how you ended up in this colony? So I was actually born here, so I'm I'm a bit far away, but my um, grandparents in 1948 from my dad's side, they were uh, displaced during the Nakba um, and they were from Adelaide and they grew up in a Jordanian refugee camp. So they were were teenagers that around the time the Nakba happened and my dad, he grew up in the refugee camps as well. And then he eventually moved from Jordan um, up here to Sydney and that, that's how we ended up here. But my mum is also Palestinian, but it's a very different story. Her dad left Janine in the West Bank in around 1967, so after the war, because he was going to get arrested or something. Uh, from what I've been told, it's not it's not a very talked about story on that end. But he then grew up in, uh, he then moved on to Kuwait and then they moved to Jordan as well um, later on in her life. And then we're all now here in the colony. So very far away from home. So did, you, did your parents meet in Jordan or in Australia? Uh, they met in Jordan. Okay, and then got married, came to Australia, you were born here? Yes. You're true blue, I mean. I don't like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm born and, born and raised here, but, you know, Palestinian at heart. You know, you're part of a growing generation of Palestinians that are born in this colony. I was one of the first Palestinians born in this colony, and one of the things that I had to reconcile in my career early on as a professional was how I sounded like us, inverted commas, but looked like them, yeah. inverted commas. You know, how long have you been here? You sound, you've got a wonderful Australian accent, Nasa. It's because I was born here, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember a lot of the conversations we had, Nasa, when we were meeting some of the people, and they'd say where you're from, and you'd say Palestine, they'd say where, and then the whole conversation would start, you know, yeah. and this wasn't that long ago. 
it still happens. And yeah. in fact, one of the challenges of that question is it presumes where are you from that I'm not from here or it, that they belong, have a greater belonging to here when they are in fact themselves colonialists and yeah. sitting on stolen land, unceded land as we are. One of my favourite things is to toy with people's brains and say, I'm from Earth, where are you from? And really <laughs> challenge them to ask what they really mean, which is where are you from from? Yeah. As, uh, a famous Palestinian co- uh, comedian from Derdi uh, went from my village, Maysun Ziad. Uh, she's got a skit that she says, "Where are you from? From is what white people ask when they ask people of colour. Yes. Where are they from? They don't mean uh, what suburb you're from, but where yes. are you from? From how are you here on my land? Anyway, Mel, we've got you on for a, a seminal piece. It comes on the back of Human Rights Watch's report last mm-hmm. year, which said that. Israel was an apartheid state. It was on the back of Bet Selim's report that said Israel's an apartheid state. It was on the back of Yesh Din's report, another Israeli NGO that said it's an apartheid state. It's on the back of 50 plus years of Palestinians saying it's an apartheid state. On the back of 20 something years of Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela saying it's apartheid. Finally, Amnesty said it's apartheid. The best thing about this report in my mind is that it includes all Palestinians, Gaza, 48, Jerusalem, West Bank, but the refugees, you and IML around the world, that were all facing discrimination because of the apartheid state of Israel. Why don't you give us your thoughts on your reading of it? I found out about the report on Monday off people crying about it on Twitter. So that was a very interesting way to find out about it. And upon reading it last night, it 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 was incredibly surreal. I think it was just a huge confirmation of things that we've been saying for years and things that have been denied and and our facts, sorry, that have been denied to us for years. And the, probably for me, the best aspect of the report was the inclusion of refugees, as you had said earlier, Nasser. I think growing up in this colony and from probably the second I started going to university, I was kind of kind of exposed to the outer world a bit more. I had I was in class with, with so many people who had come back from a gap year uh, from Israel. They had gone on a birthright trip. And for me, that was so devastating because we we don't have the right to go back. And you know, I've never been I've never been there before. And if, if I were to to make the decision to go there, it would be incredibly difficult just to to enter the border. And I, I, and as other Palestinians have said, you get you get these really limitations on how long you get to stay there. And I find it so unfortunate that peers got to go there and see there on these funded trips, and and we don't. And I just wanted to quickly just for our listeners that the. The birthright trip is for any Jew in the world or basically yes. gets sponsored to go over there and have yes. a look at their motherland, whereas yes. a Palestinian can't go back at all unless they have, obviously have the passports. And so that must be a horrible thing. I just wanted to make that. But, you know, yeah, to listen. thank you. Yeah, thank you. No, absolutely. And I guess we have a bit more like rights or abilities to travel there because you have Australian citizenship. But um, like our grandparents are the ones who were directly displaced and directly experienced enough, but they've never gotten to return. Um, and they still live in Jordan and, and, you know, they would love to return. They still hold on to their keys, but they're just never given that opportunity to go there. And it was something that Amnesty made so very clear. And I think it is just so important uh, for people to recognise that it's not limited to the borders between the river and the sea, but it extends to the entire diaspora wherever we are around the world. And, and I found that incredibly surreal to read. It is surreal. One of the things that struck me that they've called for actions. I mean, it's not not a subtle thing. You know, you've got to stop arming this place, start thinking about seizing assets, 
Uh, do you want to talk about that stuff? Yeah, um, I found that that's obviously incredibly important. And the fact that it's come from Amnesty, who to be re- reputable human rights organisations, is something that we would hope that leaders would take seriously. I mean, when we look at it in an Australian context specifically, we are directly complicit in this nation, in the war crimes that happen in Israel, in the apartheid, and in continuing its occupation. So I think there are currently plans to have a trade, to have a free trade deal with Israel, from my understanding. And I think it's just really important that our, that our leaders reflect on this and look at, look at this report and read it in full and recognise that going into that deal is normalising relations with an apartheid regime and we do really need to take the same measures that were taken with South Africa and the harsh measures that were taken back then um, to end Israeli apartheid and to promote freedom for, for Palestinians and to promote human rights. And on top of that, there was, I believe, they discussed, as you said, Nasser, ending arms sales uh, to Israel. And I think, I, I believe in Australia, we, we are complicit in that and as is the US especially. So I think it's really important that Western leaders who are arming Israel deeply consider that where, um, who we are arming and who, who we are funding in that sense and, and recognise that these deals and these decisions caused us to have blood on our hands and Palestinian blood on our hands. But we don't really expect anything less from the same countries that, that also um, um, Saudi Arabia and um, the UAE and, um, and um, many other places around the world who are complicit in war crimes. So um, let's just hope that they, they, they do reflect on this report um, very closely. So we talk about apartheid and we've known it's apartheid. In 2018, Israel introduced the nation-state law. Then Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu posted that Israel is not a state of all its citizens. The nation-state is of the Jewish people and only them. I mean, it can't be more categoric. The Prime Minister said this place is just for Jews. Is that right? (laughs) Apparently it's right. Sorry. One of the the defences today of the Israel lobby, of the Zionist lobby, is that Amnesty International is in fact... An inhuman rights organisation. It's not a human rights organisation. It's an inhuman rights. They haven't spoken to any of the points within the report because they know 280 pages of four years of methodical, systematic research with footnotes and reference required. They can't dispute what's in there. I mean, one of the things that I got out of it, in the COVID package that we had in Australia, whether it was JobKeeper and JobSeeker and banks weren't allowed to foreclose and rent relief, et cetera, the COVID-19 recovery package, only 1.7% of it was given to Palestinians when they represent one in five people inside, you know, 48 Palestine or Israel proper, whatever you want to call that. Um, the discrimination against Palestinians goes to so many different things, whether it's land, whether it's funding into schools, the fact that no Palestinian towns or villages have been set up since 1948. It's entrance committee law. There's a law on the Israeli statute that allows small villages under 400, and I think they're introducing new legislation to under 1,000, that allows for those committees to ensure that the fabric of that society is maintained. And so these entrance committees can interview prospective home purchasers to ensure that they're going to be suitably fit. And we know what suitably fit is because we know that from the Jim Crow laws of the deep south of America, we know that from South Africa, it means, are you the right person? And in Israel, are you the right person means, are you Jewish? Because if you're not Jewish, if you're Christian or Muslim or agnostic or whatever, we don't want you. Now, it can't be any clearer than that. Now, when you go through the report, some of the stuff, it's so, so strong. I mean, I want to read a couple of these quotes. Israeli authorities enact multiple measures to deliberately deny Palestinians their basic rights and freedoms. 
including draconian movement restrictions in the occupied Palestinian territories, chronic discrimination, underinvestment in Palestinian communities in Israel, and the denial of refugees' rights to return, the inalienable right, Amanda, for you to return. Inalienable means your birthright. Yeah. Your birthright to return is yours and yours alone. Should you choose to exercise it, it's yours. Your father can't sign it away. Your mother can't sign it away. You can't sign it away for your unborn children. Mm -hmm. They, above or below you, you parents or children, might choose to return. You might choose not to. That's why it's inalienable. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact that the uh, amnesty has finally included all refugees, I mean, the Palestinians have always spoken about the right to return and all of our rights to return, uh, receive compensation, etc., as part of a decolonization process. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about that forever. But the fact that it's here in black and white from the most respected human rights NGO with over 10 million members all over the world, I think this is a watershed moment. Yep, I agree. You think it's that serious? Absolutely, it's that serious. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean anything when brown people say somebody's hurting them. No. I mean, we've been saying it forever, and that's the case when it's us. It's the same for our Indigenous brothers and sisters here. It's the same for a West Papuan fighting for self-determination in West Papua. But when a white person says something's not right here, suddenly, you know, the white world might listen a little bit. And certainly when a Jew says something about a Palestinian, it gets elevated. When a white Jew says something about a Palestinian, it gets elevated again. And when we get to the point where... The most respected Israeli NGO, Betzalem, who's quoted by the State Department when they say it's apartheid, when Human Rights Watch says it's apartheid, but when Amnesty International says it's apartheid, I mean, the fact that we've been saying it for 60 years, we'll just leave that aside for a second. When they say it's apartheid, that's even bigger, even bigger than Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu, the like two greats of the South African anti-apartheid struggle. 100%, 100%, and I, and I agree with you then, Nelson, and that this is something that I was uh, thinking about earlier today. I mean, when Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela have been calling Israeli apartheid as it is for years, since they've been fighting the South African struggle, they had Albanese come out last year and he said it's offensive to South Africans to call it Israeli apartheid, or you had even the Zionist Federation of Australia yesterday say the exactly same thing you really wonder whether they're, they're looking at South Africans and they're taking it seriously. But I really wonder if Albanese is sitting on his desk right now looking through this report and wondering what the hell he's going to say about it. Because to them, when, when these white liberal organizations say these types of stuff, they take it, they take it as, as more reputable than when South Africans who experienced apartheid said it or when Palestinians have been saying it for years or when um, anti-Zionist views have been saying it. So it's just, you know, it's just one of those cases of uh, of, of these institutional factors where we're really barred um, and we're not really heard until a white person yells over us and tells us, that, no, they're right, they're right. They've been saying it right this whole time. So, yeah, I really wonder. I wonder how Albanese is going to handle it. But, you know, when we saw what Scott Morrison said today, which is not, not every country is perfect, he basically agreed with what Amnesty said. He basically agreed by saying, by, by omission, that, that Israel is indeed committing apartheid, but hey, no country's perfect, right? So um, it's really interesting what, what his response would have been if this was a Palestinian saying it instead, which is that that's just not true. We're joined by Aman Nasser from Sydney, a Palestinian activist. Now, February, listeners, is subscriber month. Please, you listen to Palestine Remembered. We, our voice is silenced in mainstream media without avenues like 3CR to give you the news and current affairs on Palestine, we would be denied another avenue to speak truth to the power that is the Israel and Zionist lobby. Please go online, www.3cr.org.au backslash subscribe or call in 
419-8377. There'll be a link in the podcast to how you can subscribe. So please do subscribe. Make sure you mention that you listen to Palestine Remembered and you think our show is the best show on 3CR. Just on that, Nessa, quickly, you're saying that we're lucky to have our view and our voice heard. Our listeners probably don't realise that we do get attacked quite a lot from the from the lobby trying to stop this show and they try and trip us up on everything. And so we are actually very lucky that 3CR is so behind us in Palestine. So it really is a, uh, you know, a wonderful thing. Indeed, Rob, indeed. So the best thing that we've got here at 3CR is their support and the fact that we speak, uh, we speak truth. Amel, again, from Sydney, Amel Nasser. One of the things I've always spoken about in my lobbying meetings as we go to Canberra and try and speak to Albo and talk to him about apartheid, um, one of the things that I point out to them, I'd be interested in what you think about this, about people whitewashing their own histories. I say to them, I say, you know, in the 80s, if you went into Ronald Reagan's office or Margaret Thatcher's office, you would have seen pictures of them with F.W. de Klerk, the last prime minister of apartheid. South Africa. And at the time, Nelson Mandela was in jail. Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan thought he was a terrorist. People power, boycott, divestment, sanctions, um, Springbok tour, et cetera, et cetera. Australia took a leading role back then. We should congratulate Australia for that. We get to that point and then suddenly everybody takes those pictures down. And then everybody whitewashes their own history. You know, I mean, you meet white South Africans in Australia and they left in 2003, you know, five, 10 years after the Troubles. And they go, oh, I was against apartheid. You know, really? (laughs) I mean, what we want politicians to know is we're taking names. You know, we're right. You are not going to get a chance to whitewash your legacy. Yep. We're going to remember what you said. And Elbo, you said it's not like South Africa. And you're right. It's not like South Africa. Even Desmond Tutu said it's not. He said it's worse. (laughs) Sharpville, the Sharpville massacre was some South African police people with some 60s level machine guns the south africans never dealt with an apache helicopter an f-16 nuclear submarines a nuclear power a blockade on two million people denying them food water access they dealt with exactly what we're dealing with separate roads separate registrations permits passes that sort of stuff but never dealt with the sound of a supersonic jet breaking this sound barrier at 2 a.m so the children can't sleep yeah. One of the challenges with this report is the conversation that happens from here. Is it can it be it can quickly become this conversation around the simple thing is just equal rights. Yeah. And and that's a simple thing. And it's a wonderful thing and certainly a step, but it's not the end game. The end game has to be a decolonization. Yeah. We have to break down the settler construct that is Zionism. Yeah. I agree with that um wholeheartedly. And I think um, looking coming um, from a colonial context, which we're in, uh, and we live, we live on, uh, or I come from stolen Gadigal land, we have to recognise that in an Australian context, at least our politicians are never going to take the decolonisation approach because they have failed to reconcile with Indigenous Australians um, in this colony. So if we're still sitting here and we're still debating this invasion day, they're not going to uh, have a look at Zionism and be like, let's take the decolonial approach. So obviously the first step, and as we've said so many times in the past, and I said, is that here in Australia and as activists here in, in Australia, um, Aboriginal rights and, and the decolonization of this country is at the forefront of our movement. But just going back to the amnesty report, I think it's just going to be such an important step at the very least. And this is the bare minimum that, 
any politician in Australia can do, which is that they need to look at this amnesty report and they need to say, you know, these equal, we need to end Israeli apartheid and we need to stop denying equal rights to Palestinians and we need to advance human rights. As we call for advancements in human rights in the CCP and in Iran and in Russia, we need to do the same in Israel and for, for, for our allies. So they're failing to consider this to begin with. And it's going to look very shame and, and history is going to look very shamefully at them for failing to even do this bare minimum. But just this report as a whole, I think it's a very important report. It's very monumental, but it obviously does not address the root of all, all of these problems, which is colonisation and which is a Zionist colonisation, to be more specific, that occurred in 1948 and, and that, that's ongoing to stay. But yeah, I guess leaders just have a very big, important uh, reflection to do at the moment, which is just to, at, at the very least, consider the issue of apartheid and the issue of, and of, of equal rights in, in that country over there. Absolutely. And you're right, Amanda, this report gives great opportunity. I it's going to create a discussion. It, you cannot ignore an amnesty report yeah. of this size, of this magnitude. The fact that the Zionists, as you said, you found out on Twitter on Monday because they were crying about this amnesty report. Um, one of the things I said, oh, you're anti-Semites. You know, they're happy to accept amnesty's report on Iran. Yeah. And they're jumping up and down, look at Iran. We've got an amnesty report, Iran. Whoa, look over there. And the CCP. Yeah, no problem with an amnesty report on China. No problem with an amnesty report on Ukraine. No problem. Amnesty wrote 140 country reports in 2020, 21. Yeah. They didn't jump up and down about any of them. Mm -hmm. But now one report on Israel, 280 odd pages, thoroughly researched, referenced lawyers, four years in the making on the back of everybody else's work. And we have to remember this report is on the back of Palestinian suffering, Palestinian blood, Palestinian sacrifice, Palestinians jumping up and down and saying, I'm a human. I've got rights. I want to be treated equally. I want to live. And what they've received from Israel is a separate permit, a separate identifier, and a separateness, apartheid. This is how indefensible the Israeli state is. How can they defend themselves when everybody from the river to the sea uses the Israeli shekel? Everyone. There are no Palestinian stamps. You don't get to lick a stamp with President Arafat's face on it. (laughs) We don't have a banknote with Abu Jihad's face on it. We're using the same currency with Ben-Gurion and all the other war criminals that have ruled that apartheid state. In that same area, one entity controls the birth registry, the death registry, the amount of order acts, the building regime, the building permit process, the radio spectrum, entry and exit, tax collection, what road you can drive on, entry and exit out of the river to the sea, entry of any goods into the river to the sea, exports from the river to the sea, but only... Only half the people get to vote. And perchance, one in 10 Palestinians get to vote. Those that have registered to vote or have become Palestinian citizens of the State of Israel. That's Apartheid 101. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And, and, you know, this is the so-called only democracy in the Middle East, right? So, you know, they they sit here and they're using these defences, like there are Arab politicians and there are Arab members of the court. But it's honestly trying to... I'm trying to... um, the Thank best you. one, I got somebody today, uh, Mansour Abbas, who's the head of an Islamist party. Yeah. And, you know, the only democracy in the Middle East, you know, surrounded by these rabid Muslims. And Mansour Abbas, who won't get re-elected again, is persona yeah. non grata in all of the Palestinian communities because mm-hmm. he has, by virtue of joining that coalition, has, in fact, accepted 
so many Zionist things that Palestinians don't accept. But this Palestinian Islamist who has some horrible politics, this guy, who's a member of the ruling party and a member of the Knesset, is the deputy Arab affairs minister. (laughs) The Arab minister isn't even an Arab. Mansour (laughs) is the... By virtue of the fact that he is an Arab, he can be the deputy prime minister. The only thing better than that is Tony Abbott being the minister for women. Women. (laughs) (laughs) It's all quite ridiculous what we're hearing and just all the things that are coming out right now. But I think my favourite one so far, it's not actually not my favourite, probably the one that just makes me laugh the most, is just you had the minister of foreign affairs. He was the one whose clip was on the ABC in the morning. And he essentially said, Amnesty is a very reputable organisation until this report came out. So imagine (laughs) imagine if we could just pick on any Amnesty report and we could just say, that's wrong because I don't like it. Or that's wrong because it's attacking me or it's targeting me. Um, And it really kind of highlights that Israel and Israeli supporters and the state and the government are really, really struggling right now to get themselves out of this because they know that, that this report is going to open up conversations among the people. It might not open up, com- it might not create drastic change within governments because our own governments say, um, have horrible human rights track records and, and honestly do not care about human rights more than any other state in the world that they criticise. But um, that's a reflection on them, but it's opening up conversations within the people. And that will inadvertently put pressure on politicians anyway. And that's what they're really worried about. They're really worried that now people aren't turning this away as this really complex crisis. But they're looking at organisations that they've looked to in the past to understand refugee crisis in Australia or to understand human rights violations in China or in Iran or in Russia. And they're looking at these institutions and they're like, okay, so they're practising apartheid. And the report is very easy to read. It's not complicated to read. So they can open up the report. It's publicly available. They can read it. And it's going to change conversations among people. And that's what they're really they're really worried about right now. But I, I think their um, attempts to label it as anti-Semitism, it's being taken less and less seriously because I don't think anyone can look at a report like this and agree that it is anti-Semitic in nature. It's just one of those defences that are being used right now, but it's just not going to pull through. So they're obviously really worried on, on their end, but this but this report, it does, as you said, Marcel, it really just goes on the, on the work that activists have been doing for years and Palestinian human rights organisations have been doing for years and it will just continue to open up the conversations and the increasing awareness um, of Israeli human rights violations that people started having around last May. I, I think it'll definitely increase the length of the conversation as well because there's just so much in this report. You said it's easy to read. Yeah. I actually found it quite hard to read only because of the fact it's just what's going on over there is, you know, you know. But it's yeah. hard to believe it. And I've always said the thing about Israel, the way they get away with stuff is people go, nah, you can't be right, mate. The world wouldn't let that happen. Yeah. But if you read through mm. this report, it's got everything covered from the, you know, the extraditional killings, not getting charged any of the police, the Palestinians getting beaten to death. They can't just read it and put it down. They have to print it and give it to a friend. They can't like it on Twitter. They need to retweet it or share it. We need people to yeah. see this. How do we do that? Yeah. So we'll put a link to the report in the yeah. podcast. So if you haven't come across it yet, listeners, there'll be a link there. You can click it. The thing after reading that report is we need you to act. So write to your politician, speak to your politician. We're coming into a a federal election. So meet the candidates, go to meet the candidate forums, et cetera, and ask them what their position is on apartheid Israel. We used to say apartheid Israel 20 years ago in Canberra and they'd look at me funny. Well, increasingly, I got less looks and we're due to go to Canberra sometime this year in 2022. And I'm sure 
well, A, we'll be sending every member of parliament a copy of this report to make sure they've read it and ask them, uh, tell them it'll be part of their homework and the uh, exam will include questions from this report. Um, so we will be holding them to account and we can ask you to do the same. Yes. Amel, I'm going to just read the a couple of lines from the conclusion. Thank you so much for joining us, Amel Nasser, uh, activist from, from Sydney, a fantastic young Palestinian. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Fabi. And these are the final lines, a couple of lines from the conclusion. Israel must grant equal rights to all Palestinians in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories in line with principles of international human rights and humanitarian law. It must recognise the right of Palestinian refugees and their descendants to return to homes where they or their families once lived and provide victims of human rights violations and crimes against humanity full reparations. The scale and seriousness of the violations documented in this report call for a drastic change in the international community's approach to human rights in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. All states must exercise universal jurisdiction over persons reasonably suspected of committing the crime of apartheid under international law, and states that are party to the apartheid convention have an obligation to do so. That includes Australia, by the way. The international response to apartheid must no longer be limited to bland condemnations and unequivocated. Unless we tackle the root causes, Palestinians and Israelis will remain locked in a cycle of violence, which has destroyed so many lives. Israel must dismantle the apartheid system and start treating Palestinians as human beings with equal rights and dignity. Until it does, peace and security will remain a distant prospect for Israelis and Palestinians alike. Proper, proper way to finish a report. Amal, thanks so much again. Uh, and we look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Absolutely. Look forward to being on the show again. It was very nice being here today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nasser. We'll all speak to you next week. That was Amal Nasser, a Sydney activist. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share the podcast, tell your friends, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.